Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. We're very excited to have you here today. We'd really appreciate it if you'd take some time and you'd send this to a friend, family member, or colleague, anybody who you think might enjoy this or might benefit from listening. All right, let's jump right in. Today, what we're going to be discussing is the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Now, if you haven't heard of that last one, the fawn response is a little bit more of a new addition into the fight, flight, or freeze responses. And so what we're going to be doing is dissecting all four of those today and just helping you guys have a better understanding of how the acute stress response or trauma response plays into your life and plays into your relationships. In order to understand a little bit more about these acute stress responses, one of the things that's important to understand about how our brain works is that there are two major components that we're going to be addressing today with this discussion. One is our prefrontal cortex. Your prefrontal cortex is your logical processing centers. When you're nice and calm, that's the part of the brain that's really running the show. The prefrontal cortex is able to kind of think about behaviors and consequences and analyze data and information. And when you go to school and you learn something, that's part of your brain you use to recall that information in order to apply that information. Now your amygdala, the main goal of your amygdala is a safety mechanism. This part of your brain is designed in order to keep you safe. And that's the part of the brain where the fight, flight, or freeze response gets triggered often. So once that happens, your amygdala does what's called the amygdala hijack, where it will literally just take control of your brain and says, okay, I'm running the show now. Whatever was happening in your prefrontal cortex at the time the amygdala hijack takes over ends up being put kind of in the background, on the back burner. Not that it is completely inaccessible, but that it is much more difficult to access because what happens is that amygdala starts running the show and it's 95 or 99% running the show and your prefrontal cortex is maybe 5% or 1% running the show. And so it's more of a peripheral portion of the responses that you're getting. Now, when that amygdala hijack happens, your brain is going into this lockdown kind of safety mode, right? It's very fearful that something's going to happen bad to you. Now, the thing about your amygdala is that it doesn't really recognize the difference between physical danger and emotional danger. It treats them both the same way. So if you step out into traffic and you realize a car is coming and you jump out of the way right away, you get this adrenaline response. Your brain just floods your system with adrenaline in order to help you be able to more quickly and have more strength if you have to respond to a situation. But the same thing happens if you're in an emotional situation with somebody. Your brain also will release all this adrenaline into your body. And then what happens is it really kind of kicks off this fight, flight, or freeze response. And then you're going to have a much more difficult time having a calm conversation with somebody else. So that's kind of the basis of what we're discussing is this really biological thing that happens in our brain where we are more on our logical side of our brain and then we shift to this kind of more emotional survival mechanism of our brain. Right, so the verbiage you'll hear a lot is this perceived threat. So like Tim said, there's not really a difference between physical threat or emotional threat, but it's that perceived threat. If that person feels in danger, then this response will kick in. So let's talk about what it looks like to have a healthy response in a situation where there's a perceived threat of danger. Ideally, you would want access to all four of these responses, and then your brain will quickly determine what response you're going to choose based on the situation and have an appropriate response to whatever threat you encounter. 
right? Because you wouldn't want to be fighting a car that's coming at you. You would want to flee. Yeah, that's a good example. So you're going to take into account what the threat is and think about, okay, is this a situation where I have the resources in order to fight and it'll be beneficial for the situation or is it better to flee? And obviously we don't go through that in a step-by-step process in our mind. It's a quick determination that our brain has to make in order to keep us safe. It's basically automatic. When they compare the reaction speed of the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex, there's not really even a comparison. One is meant for kind of longer term thinking, and the other one is just kind of snap reactions. In that example I gave, when you step out in traffic and you realize a car's coming towards you, you don't have to think, oh no, that car's coming towards me. And based on the weight and velocity of that car, if it hits me, I'm going to die. You just, boom, you jump out of the way right away. And you don't have to think, oh, I'm going to punch that car, or should I jump away, or should I freeze? It's just instinctively and automatically, you just act. Right, so based on that situation, you're going to act in the appropriate manner. But when someone has a history of trauma, their brain might become skewed in a way where they're likely to activate the same response for a perceived threat, regardless of what the threat is and regardless what, quote unquote, the appropriate response might be in that situation. But because of their history of trauma, they're so used to responding in a fight type way or they're used to responding in a freeze type way. And we've talked about trauma in past episodes. We'll link that in the show notes below. But it's important to understand that a lot of these responses initially were set up in order to protect us, and it served us at the time that we needed it. But when we continue in that same response, when there is no danger, it becomes detrimental to us and to the situation and to relationships. And so as you work on your trauma, and as you become more aware of the specific response that you are engaging in, That'll help you have more access to all four of these types to use appropriately as the situation calls for. So let's start with the fight response. In this response, our brain is trying to ward off danger by defeating it or overcoming it. And when they feel like the perceived threat that they're experiencing is something that they can overcome or control, they have a fight response. In the fight response, you tend to have feelings of anger, aggression, or competitiveness. And again, all these are geared toward solving the problem of keeping you safe. And in this situation, your brain has perceived that it has a chance at overcoming the issue with safety with fighting whatever is causing your safety issue. And so this is going to cause you to then approach and go after the thing that is affecting your safety. Now, if this is a physical threat, what you're going to have a tendency to do is you're going to fight, you're going to kick, you're going to bite, you're going to do whatever you have to do in order to keep yourself safe. Now, Obviously, what I said before is that a large portion of your amygdala is running the show, like 95% of the time it's running the show or something like that. But a little portion of your prefrontal cortex is still maintaining control. And so if it's an emotional threat, you're not going to go and punch them in the face, generally speaking. Again, just like you were saying earlier, Ruth, if we have a major trauma response, maybe that is the case. But most of the time, what people are then going to do is they're going to kind of talk through whatever problem they have in more of an aggressive manner. They're going to be kind of trying to fight for their point of view and try to argue their point of view. And again, the brain has injected them with adrenaline. And so what they're going to do at any point is try to be as dismissive as possible to any counter arguments that are coming in that are challenging their belief systems. And they're going to just press and hammer and hammer and hammer trying to get their perspective and point of view across. 
Yeah, so a lot of times that comes across as if they can't see or hear the other person's point of view because they're not really even taking the time to. And this fight response really is the self-preservation at all costs. And like Tim was talking about, it shows up a lot of time as this aggressive, angry behavior showing kind of this explosive temper or having outbursts. A lot of times they're seen as the bully. They can criticize others. Maybe they just rage and they try to dominate and control others. The negative psychological trait that's associated with fight is narcissism. It's interesting, a lot of times when I'm first starting off couples sessions, people will tell me, well, I think my spouse is narcissistic. They act or they behave this way. And then I always like to ask this follow-up question is, do they act this way all the time or is it just towards you? And the reason why that question is important is because a narcissist is going to be a narcissist at work. They're going to be a narcissist to their friends. They're going to be a narcissist to their kids and their spouse. It permeates all areas of their life. But if it's just happening towards you or it's just happening in situations when they're mad, what's really happening is their fight response is being triggered off and they aren't considering any of your thoughts or feelings because their brain is telling them they're in danger. And so they're going to fight you tooth and nail, even to the point where it seems absolutely ridiculous or it seems or feels like they might be making up things in order to justify their point of view or perspective. But really what again is happening is that they're operating in a totally different part of their brain compared to when they're calm. So Pete Walker has a book called Complex PTSD, From Surviving to Thriving, and he was the one that originally wrote about the fawn response. And in the book, he addresses, for each of the four types, what are some positive characteristics of each of them, and what are some of the detrimental characteristics of the four defenses? And I think a lot of times when we think of the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, we think of it in more of a negative view. But there are some positive things to them. So for fight, the positive characteristics are they're assertive. They set up boundaries for themselves. They don't always respect necessarily the boundaries of others, but they set up boundaries for themselves. They have courage and they show leadership. So to sum up the fight response, they really are confronting the perceived threat and asserting themselves. The flight response is chosen when an individual perceives the threat as something they cannot conquer and decide to escape instead. So with the fight response, you perceive that the threat is either equal to or less than yourself. With the flee response, you perceive that the threat is greater than you, and so you want to get away from it as quickly as you can. So what you would do if this was a real physical threat is you would run away, you'd try to get away as fast as you can. But if it's more of an emotional threat, what you may do is walk out of the room, or you might just even recede into your own mind. You may retreat into your mind, but not actually leave the room. A lot of times the flight response will trigger panic, anxiety, and restlessness. Very similar to the fight response, the body prepares for quick action. So both of the fight and the flight are very action-oriented responses. So what the flight response can look like is they can be a workaholic where they're always just going, they're doing something to avoid their feelings. There's always on the go, they're staying busy, they worry a lot. Sometimes they're perfectionistic, they're overachiever, and like we mentioned earlier, they have a lot of that panic and anxiety, and sometimes obsessive-compulsive tendencies. So some of the positives that are associated with the flight mechanism are disengagement, so you're going to disengage from an unhealthy conflict, you retreat in a healthy way, you also are industrious, you're very good at getting things done, and then perseverance is also associated with the aspect of flight. So the flight response can really affect relationships 
when there's kind of this perceived threat or I feel like I can't trust them and really they run and they escape and they avoid that conflict and they avoid that relationship sometimes altogether. And I think that's where that stigma of like fear of commitment comes in, right? When they have this perceived threat, they run. So the fight and the flight response are very well known. A lot of times when people are referring to this, they'll say fight or flight response. And sometimes people will say fight, flight, or freeze response. So although this is less known than fight or flight, freeze is still pretty well known. And so this freeze response happens when a person can't decide on fighting or fleeing. And a lot of times it comes from this hopelessness or powerlessness. And they view the others as an impossible or useless situation. Like they can see that fighting back would prove fruitless and so would fleeing. So instead, because they feel stuck and paralyzed, they freeze. Now, I think fight and flight are more well-known because those responses definitely make sense. But the freeze response, I think sometimes a lot of times people can misunderstand why would people freeze? Why would an animal freeze in a situation like this? And a great example of this is a deer in the headlights. Like, why would a deer jump out onto the road and then see an oncoming car and then just not move at all? Well, that type of defense response, if you've ever seen a deer walking in the woods, they stick out like a sore thumb. But as soon as they stop moving, they become almost invisible. And even if you had just seen them a moment ago, but you looked away, it's hard for your eyes to fix back on them and see them again. So freezing doesn't give a threat any more information about where you're at or what you're doing. But as soon as you start moving, then you're giving more and more information to that threat. So when you're freezing, it's like, I need to stop, I need to assess, I need to look, I don't want to give anyone any more information to respond to. And again, it's this just very basic biological urge that you just kind of snap into, oh, I need to pause, I need to freeze, I need not do anything. And so going back to talking about animals with deer, again, they freeze, they choose to kind of stop, but other animals, and even sometimes people, this is what happens is, like, for example, with possums, when they get frightened, they don't actually play dead. That's what a lot of people think, but they actually pass out when that happens. I think this happens to goat and sheep as well. When they get startled, they just will fall over. And it's not them trying to hide. It's literally that they pass out. And so the freeze response is also associated with disassociation. And the idea behind disassociation is basically it's this feeling or sense of being detached from your body. You are kind of just disconnected. Other negative aspects of the freeze response are isolation the couch potato, the space cadet, the hermit. So all these things that are just kind of very off on your own or distant or separated from the world around you. And like I said before, these trauma responses oftentimes had served you at one point. So if you think of maybe childhood abuse, where it seems fruitless to them to fight, they know they can't overpower this adult and they can't necessarily flee in that situation. And so in order to minimize the harm that is done to them, they dissociate and they shut down and they numb themselves out. And so it really is the safety response to preserve and lessen any kind of danger and hurt that is happening. But when that continues, when that danger has stopped, that becomes now a trauma response where it's not necessarily a healthy response to a situation, but they're responding based on what helped them in the past and really what they had to do to survive in that situation. So a lot of times people with the freeze type show up as depressed, they have brain fog, they avoid contact or social interactions, they struggle with making decisions, 
They feel disconnected and dead inside. And like Tim said, a lot of times they isolate themselves. So the positive aspects of freeze are acute awareness, right? So you freeze so you can take in additional information to be able to make better decisions. Also, along with that mindfulness, you're just very present and in the moment. And then you have this poised readiness. You have the ability to act, but you're not currently acting. So to sum up the freeze type, when there's a perceived threat, they shut down in order to block out the threat and protect themselves from further damage. This describes the actions of people who respond to threats by trying to please or appease the threat in order to stay safe. Now, this is a little bit of an unusual one. I don't know if this one's actually found so much in nature because I think this is kind of a higher cognitive level of understanding. It may still be very reactionary, but it's come to the conclusion that fight, flight, and freeze are ineffective in this situation. So the only thing I can do is try to keep the threat happy so that it doesn't have a reason to harm me. In particular, children whose parents are abusive, they're more likely to develop this fawn response because there is no escape from that. They're kind of just stuck there. And the first three responses were not helpful. So then this fourth response was developed in order for them to take some level of control in a situation that they have very little. Another example of this, kind of what Tim was saying with the abuse, is sometimes when there's an older sibling and maybe they could flee and they could run away, but they feel like, I'm not going to run and leave my siblings here. And fighting back hasn't helped. And they feel the burden of protection for their siblings, and so they can't freeze. And so they fawn, and they have this people-pleasing tendency to limit the amount of damage being done. And how this shows up in everyday life is that people-pleasing, the codependency, the lack of boundaries that happen. And even though it may be helpful in that trauma situation, that response oftentimes carries on for the rest of their life, where they really struggle with always trying to please people because they never know who's actually a threat or who's not. And especially, I think, when you develop some of these responses from unhealthy childhood upbringings, the people you should be able to trust your most, your parents, were people you couldn't trust. And so then developing any level of trust with anybody later on in your life is very difficult. Some other ways it shows up is they have a hard time standing up for themselves or saying no. A lot of times they'll defer to others in decision making, right, because they want the people around them to decide what's best for them, and they avoid conflict altogether. And a lot of times they're highly concerned with fitting in, which makes them easily exploited by others, especially the fight types. A lot of times they're so aggressive, and so the fawn types will appease them and do what they have to, and they'll flatter others to avoid that conflict. A lot of times a fawn response could kind of feel like a doormat or a slave or even a social perfectionist where they have to meet the needs of everybody in the right way. But some of the positive characteristics of the fawn type are that they love and they serve and they have great compassion. They have an ability to listen and compromise and they're great at peacemaking. And so when you really are in a healthy space, there are some really great positive characteristics to each of these responses. And this is the one that really is the least known out of all four of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of you listening didn't necessarily relate fully to the other three. But with this explanation of fawn, where you feel like, oh man, I can totally relate to that. And I really do like this addition to the acute stress responses because it really does help to explain and encapsulate this other portion. And so, like I was saying, I think this really will connect with a lot of you 
who feel like I have such difficulty saying no to people and I don't have good boundaries and I don't know how to set boundaries. And I do feel like I'm codependent and I'm a people pleaser, right? All of that oftentimes will fall into this fawn response. All right, guys, we're going to stop there. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in for part two that we're going to have later this week. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.